Well, good morning. You guys enjoy the snow this week? Come on, a little bit of snow. Great snow out there. Hey, you know, I just want to take a moment this morning, and uh, I know you should never go through names, but I think of people like Pastor Scott, Brian Penny, I think through Mike Shanley, Todd Shanley, um, Al Huff, Landon Handy, Noel, individuals this week uh, and more. I know there's more and I'm probably forgetting a few. That's why you're not supposed to do that. But, but individuals who this week put in so much time and energy and effort into making this stage um, happen. Uh, if you do notice, the stairs are gone. And uh, so the subs are in place. Some people may be sitting here this morning going, is this the sound? The sound people actually have not been in. We had to actually build everything first, put everything in place uh, to make all of that happen. But this stage is uh, ginormous now. And um, one of the things I'm really excited about is just some of the creative art pieces that we're really looking at um, being able to do. How many of you guys remember um, a while back we had um, a dancer, she came in and she did a choreographed dancing routine, and probably a lot of you really love that. Um, some of you are like, man, I'm not so much into the dancing piece, that's fine, but uh, some of us really do. And uh, it was really interesting because for her, she had to work around these little pockets of stage, and now she doesn't have to do that anymore, but uh, really, Pastor Scott um, has just done an amazing job. He has been here, I'm not joking, literally all day uh, into the late evening hours and everything. And so when you see Pastor Scott, um, he was playing the piano right up here. Um, when you see him, please, man, just, just say thank you so much for your investment and everything into making. There's a lot. I know, I know you guys don't realize all really what happened. You're like, oh, it's just filling in the stairs. No, no, like they literally worked all day, uh, all into the evenings with like hundreds of man hours and everything to make, make all this happen. So, yeah. At the same time, you saw that we were investing our sound equipment into the Pasquels uh, there in Rome, which is such an awesome, awesome thing. You, uh, Rick, is him and his wife are just so excited at the opportunity. Imagine they um, have a church of you know around 600, I think 700 people there in Rome, and they have no wireless mics. Everything is all wired. Um, this is a game changer for them. And so if you don't know, for us, and I know I'm spending a little bit more time on this, but I want you to understand the why behind the what here. And that is, is, is in the United States, there was certain frequencies that certain wireless microphones, um, that channel, that frequency, quote unquote, was sold. The FCC sold it. So T-Mobile and other carriers out there bought that frequency and the usage of it. Starting in September of this year, it became illegal to actually operate on those frequencies. So all the equipment that was on any of those frequencies became null and void. They could come in, the FCC could come in and write you a $10,000 fine for each piece of equipment that was operating on that frequency. So just imagine for a moment, all of our musicians who had wire, wireless microphones, it, it would add up really quick. And so we started looking at what if we sell this equipment uh, we realized that we'd have to sell it outside of the United States when Rick and Jen were with us back in July. That's how long we've been working on this. Uh, I was having a conversation with him, and he said, you know, in Rome, we don't have frequency challenges like you guys do. They haven't sold them off. And I was like, really? So I went to the board, and we talked, and we prayed about it. And we invested the money into it. And we not only invested the money and said, here you go, you're going to have to buy these things. We literally sent them everything they needed to be able to install that system and have it up and running, which meant a little more investment on our end. But it's a seed, yeah, come on, that we were able to plant into their lives and into their ministry. And so I couldn't be more proud of Pastor Scott and the team and everyone who made all this happen. This is a lot to turn around in one week. This week, um, the sound engineers will be in and they'll be working on all of that. There's a new soundboard that's been installed, all new in here. I mean, like, there's so much going on, as well as stuff going on down the lower level. Uh, I mean, it is just, it's a little crazy around here. And so if you're someone who's like, hey, I got extra time, we got extra stuff. And so we would love to have you guys be a part of it. Um, to all the parents, thank you for your um, flexibility and willingness to work with us right now during the season while the lower level is completely being remodeled um, from flooring to lighting to walls. I mean, like, 
there is so much going on down there. You won't even recognize that space when we're done with it um, because of just the way the flow will be and really the security of it. And one of the things I love so much is during the week, we have BCC, which is Bethany Child Care, and and Krista Sharp and her team just does an amazing job. And I love seeing the kids coming through the uh, hallways, and they kind of run through, and they'll go in the event center, and they're over here. Because isn't there something about kids that they bring life? It's like, man, it's just, I love seeing kids around, you know? It's like, I love, I love seeing them. A lot of them know me by name now, so they'll, be, they'll call me, hey, Pastor Braley. That's what they're constantly, because Pastor Braley's the popular guy around here, and I think it's because we both have, uh, you know, uh, beards and everything. They're like, hey, Pastor Braley, and I'm like, it's Pastor Brian. Or sometimes they'll call me Mr. Sharp, which is Krista's husband. Um, so I get called everything but Pastor Brian normally, so... It's a pretty funny thing, but uh, I love interacting with them. I love seeing their smiles. And really, in so many ways, kids captivate us. They, kids say some of the craziest things when you think about it. Um, their energy is contagious, their joy, their peace. Just, just what they bring is contagious. That's why I, I really do. I miss working with kids on a regular basis because there's something about getting down at the eye level of a kid. You, you, would, you would be surprised at just getting down in this posture right here and looking at a kid eye to eye and just telling them things like, listen, I know God has a plan and purpose for your life. Hey, listen, I know mom may be sick right now because they carry that stuff. But you know what? It's going to be okay. Because why? Because Jesus is a God who heals. So if you'll pray with me, then we can actually spend some time praying and believing that God's going to heal your mom. Will you believe that with me? And they're like, yeah, I'm ready. And they're all in on it. And they pray with you in that moment. Why? Because kids have a way of understanding. Really, kids have a way of trusting. If you say, hey, this is what it is. Okay, kid. He's not second guessing in those moments. They're trusting. But kids will say some of the craziest things. I did a little research, was finding some things online. You know, uh, one kid said this, a seven-year-old kid said, most inventors are smart, he said, but the person who invented homework was the dumbest of them all. <laughs> right? Through the, through the mouth of a seven-year-old. Here we go. A soccer coach was talking with a, with a little kid one time, a four-year-old. He said, hey, when you're trying to score a goal... Kick the ball with the laces of your shoe. The four-year-old interrupted and said, um, um, we're in preschool and we have Velcro. <laughs> Here we go. A two-year-old uh, said, mom, I'm all grown up. I told her that she wasn't, that she is a toddler. She replied, no, I'm grown up. I'm actually going to touch some knives. That was like her, in her mind, she was like, I, I can do this. Kids will say the craziest things. Here's, here's another one. Uh, this lady said, I sat down with my three-year-old daughter who was playing uh, at her dollhouse, and I asked her which doll I could be, to which she replied, the one that does the dishes. <laughs> the one that does the dishes. Here we, here we go, last one. Uh, a four-year-old said, uh, uh, said this, uh, Mom, what happens if your phone goes in the potty? To which mom replied, why? To which the four-year-old said, oh, never mind. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Don't you worry about that, mom. <laughs> you know, kids will say some of the funniest things. They'll say some of the funniest things when we're around them. But, but in the midst of those times, really, one of the things that we see from kids is we see that kids are constantly trusting they're constantly trusting. Like when I think of my own kids, last night Josiah and I uh, watched a movie, popped some popcorn, watched a movie downstairs. Kasha stayed upstairs and read a book, and, and uh, we went down, and we were watching a movie, and, and uh, we were watching this movie called Alpha, and the problem with the movie Alpha is, is none of the movie is in English, and so like you're just watching this movie unfold, and it's just like, I mean, it's cool. It's a great movie and everything. It was, it was really good, but but you can't understand anybody. So like my brain is trying to put together all the things. And so I look over at Josiah a few times and I'm like, are you still awake? He's like, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know Josiah is not awake because he's over there snoring on the couch. And he is just, he's just out. He's just curled up in there. And, and Josiah is so funny because when you go to wake Josiah up, if you, if you go up to him and you say, Josiah, it doesn't matter if you, if you just touch him a little bit. He, <laughs> 
And literally, I'm not joking, Kasha will tell you, he literally is, <laughs> he just is all over the place. He's like a wild waker-upper. I feel bad for his wife one day. <laughs> He's gonna, she's going to go and roll over and be like, hey, honey. He's going, <laughs> she's going to freak out. But really, children, children are a gift from God. And uh, I, I want to look at, we've been looking at the red letters of Jesus and, and really looking at the inspired teachings of Jesus, looking at moments where Jesus inspired us through his words. And um, I want to look at uh, two passages of Scripture, actually, and two different encounters where Jesus had an encounter with some children. Now, the thing to set the stage, we don't really know the ages of these kids that Jesus is getting ready to have an encounter with. But let's just assume that these kids could be kids of all ages. Now Luke, in his passage, refers to them as babies. But in Matthew chapter 19, Matthew 19, if you have your Bibles, you can open up there or or flip open your phones to Matthew chapter 19. But in Matthew chapter 19, we see Jesus is gathered around with his disciples. And what ends up happening in this moment is is that the disciples begin... um, watching this moment unfold where people are bringing their children to Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 19, verse 13, it says this, Then some children were brought to him so that he may lay hands on them and pray, and the disciples then did what? It says they rebuked them. So, so here's moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, everyone. They're, they're kind of bringing their children to Jesus and they're, and they're trying to see if Jesus will just lay his hand on them, transfer an anointing on them, put a blessing upon them on their lives. But the disciples rebuke them. I mean, what's been happening with the disciples? Well, the disciples have been seeing miracles unfold. They've been seeing Jesus, the, the master teacher, drawing really large crowds of people. They've been seeing miracles unfold. And, and in their minds, basically, I think the disciples, what they're thinking is, they're like, Jesus doesn't have time for all of these shenanigans with all these kids. We don't have time to invest into them. We don't have time to to pour into them all these different pieces that they're thinking and going through their minds. So the disciples rebuke them, but it says this, but Jesus said, let the children alone. Do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So Jesus immediately looks to his disciples, listen, let, let them alone. Just, just let the kids come. Don't hinder them. Let them come right in. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He's reminding the disciples, listen, this isn't just about the adults. This isn't just about their comfort. It isn't just about you seeing miracles. This isn't just about all those. Listen, there is a next generation that's coming out. There is a younger generation that's coming out that, that you need to pay attention because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And then it says, after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. Mark chapter 10 records another passage where it says this, they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. So Mark's recording the same thing. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Oh, now we're seeing even a little bit stronger words. Not only is Jesus rebuked, but now he's indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Now that's interesting. Jesus, in this passage, takes it a little bit further. He says, not only is it that they're not to rebuke them, but he says, listen, you have to become like them. And so it says this, and he took them in his arms and began blessing them and laying hands on them. Luke 18, 15 through 17. One of the other gospel writers says this. It says, and they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them saying, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. So all three of these passages of Scripture have the same moment where people are bringing their children to Jesus, asking him to touch them, asking him to bless them, asking him to transfer onto them, asking them. And can I just tell you, every week we have parents 
that bring their children here to Bethany. And they're saying, can you please impart into them something? Now, many times they, they don't know even what they're asking to be imparted. They're like, I just, I've seen, you know, some, I think there's some good morals that my kids kind of need to pick up. I've talked with a lot of parents and they say, you know, I, I know I need to get my kids into church. And I'll say, why? And they're like, because I just, they, they need some of that church stuff in their lives. Doesn't, Jesus doesn't care with why you bring them. He just wants to encounter them. In fact, here's what I would say. When kids encounter Jesus, when kids encounter Jesus, comma, life changes. I forgot on the slide, that's my fault, but when kids encounter Jesus, comma, life changes. Because life does change when a kid encounters Jesus. I've seen it personally. I've seen it in our kids' lives, my own kids' lives. I've seen it in your kids' lives. I've seen it in other people's kids' lives. When I was the kids' pastor at Mount Hope in Lansing, Michigan, we had a kids' ministry of around 900 kids, which is a lot. <laughs> and I remember looking at many of those kids and seeing them when they were younger, and now many of those kids are no longer younger kids. They're actually getting married, and they're having their own kids, and that means you're getting older. <laughs> when, when your kids start having kids, you know, and kids, kids, like, then, it, then, then, yeah, then you're really old. And some of you are really old. <laughs> and that's okay, because I'm a little jealous. Because remember, this time here on earth is just, just a glimpse of what eternity is going to be like. And I, I know many of us, when we come into the holiday season, some of us have lost some loved ones, and, it, and it's a hard season. You come into the holiday season, and that loved one isn't around anymore. Can I just encourage you with something? Just remember that they are experiencing and will experience the greatest Thanksgiving meal they've ever had. <laughs> they will experience the greatest time at Christmas celebrating face-to-face -face with the one who we're celebrating his birthday. Can I just, can I just put some good images in your, in your mind of your family members who have a relationship with Christ of being in the presence of Jesus? Come on. There is importance to why we live the life we live. And the, the life we live is not for these moments, but, but it's for the moments of an eternity. So if a kid's, when a kid encounters Jesus, if life changes in that moment, then our responsibility as a church body should be to make sure that as many kids in our county and in our area encounter Jesus. It's our responsibility and you may say, no, it's the parents' responsibility. No, 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 it's all of our responsibility, not just the parents. We can't just look at the parents and say, man, see, that parent doesn't know how to parent. Teach them how to parent. Now, you may say, well, they don't want to listen. Well, that's because you haven't taken the time to invest into the relationship in order to then speak into their life. See, some of us, we get so focused on our own lives. We're like, listen, I paid my, I, I did my dues. I paid my price. I did whatever, you know, in your mind you think you had to do. Kind of say, the younger generation of parents who is growing up needs to be taught how to parent. And you know what? They're open to it. But the response that you need to bring to them when you're trying to help them with parenting should not be, man, you just need to get rid of all that technology stuff. Just stop fighting battles that don't need to be fought. Speak into their lives. Parents know that technology is crazy. They understand it. Technology has basically become like what the TV was years ago, what music was years ago. It's our responsibility to be able to pour into kids' lives. But for some of us, it's hard because some parents don't want their kids around the church. Some parents don't want their kids hearing about Jesus. Some parents don't want them involved in things where they would be poured into. I heard the story of a preacher who wanted to show off his garden to a man in the church and their kids. But the man wouldn't let his children attend the church because the man said this, he wanted his kids to make the decision on their own. I don't want to force them into anything. He said, I want them to make the decision on their own so when they're old enough, they could decide for themselves. Eventually, as time went on, the man finally allowed the kids to come to his garden. When they walked into the garden, the garden was full of weeds, 
which were choking out the squash, the beans, and the okra. And the man said to the other man, this is a pitiful excuse of a garden. I brought my kids to see a garden that would be much better taken care of. To which the preacher replied to him, I just wanted to wait until the vegetables had a chance to decide for themselves what they wanted to do. You see, so many times we think that we have to let our kids experience everything and anything. Can I just say, you are to train and guide them in the way that they should go. That's not close-minded. That's not bigotry thinking. That is actually smart parenting. If I know my kid, if he touches a hot iron, will burn his hand, then guess what we don't do? We don't let our kid touch a hot iron. Unless you're my wife and you're working inside of the room and Gabe climbs up on top of a bunch of rubber maids after she had just done some ironing and she literally looked away for a moment and Gabe puts his hand on the iron and burns his hand. I'll never forget when Kasha calls me on the phone and says, Brian, Gabe burned himself really bad, and like third degree burn on his hand. If you ever want to see his scar, he'll show it to you. You got to see it here quick because in December he's getting it fixed. And so they're going to do a bunch of surgery and stuff on his hand. And, but you may sit there and think in that moment, but, but Kasha didn't say, well, serves you right, Gabe. You should have known. Like, stinks to be you. Sometimes you got to learn the hard way, buddy. No, she felt horrible. No way would she ever just leave that lane around like that. She had put it up on top of it, but Gabe's Gabe, and he just climbs up on things and makes it happen at two years old. And then they said that he didn't know what to do when he put his hand out, so he just left it there. Because when you're two years old, your body doesn't know how to respond. You're like, this, this is not good, and he just kind of sticks it and just leaves it there. Kasha had to literally pull his hand off of it. And, um, yeah, feel bad. And so... But here's the thing. The thing that we have to understand is this, is that when kids encounter Jesus, when kids have one encounter with Jesus, it changes everything. Our responsibility is to get kids to encounter Jesus. What Jesus was saying to the disciples, listen, stop rebuking them, stop pushing them away, and actually bring them in. I want to bless them. I, 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 in fact, you need to become like them to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus brought or when children were brought to Jesus, there was a life change experience that took place. That's what Jesus wants you and I to do, is to provide kids with an encounter with Jesus. Right now, kids are encountering Jesus. Some of them, even at the youngest of ages, are encountering Jesus. When, when someone's just holding them, rocking a little baby, and just saying, listen, God has fearfully and wonderfully made you. I don't know what your week's been like, but I know this. I'm praying peace over you. And I've, I've talked to the, the um, people who work in our nursery area, and they'll say, as I'm holding them, I'm just praying over these kids and just believing that God's just going to pour into them and that they're going to experience the joy and the peace of God in their lives, that they will experience freedom, not experience lives filled with addiction. Now, the second thing we see here is that not only does one encounter with Jesus change everything in a kid's life, but Jesus actually wanted the kids to encounter him. See, the reason why I say this is because we can look at it and go, yeah, we know, Pastor Brian, one encounter with Jesus changes everything. Yes, I know that, I know that, I know that. But here's what you and I have to be reminded of. Jesus actually wanted the kids to encounter him. He wanted the kids to encounter who he was. You see, during this time, a rabbi would pray a blessing over a child. It was a customary thing among the Jews. When blessings were sought for others in prayer, he would then lay, the rabbi would lay hands on the head of the person being prayed for, implying a kind of consecration to the Lord. They had so much confidence in the prayers of this that they would believe that, that if you were blessed by that person, that that person's anointing, that person's blessing, that, that person's life experience would actually be transferred into you, that literally you would walk in the anointing of that person. Some commentators have said this, that they believed that it might have been actually some of Jesus' followers. See, that you had the disciples, but then you had also people who were following Jesus that were literally the ones bringing the children to Jesus, saying, 
Listen, I know my life has been changed because of it. I want my kids' lives to be changed because of it. So please, Jesus, please, Jesus, can my kid encounter you? Please, Jesus. And so what we see is Jesus actually is opening himself up to the children and saying, yes, come. Jesus wanted to encounter the kids. The third thing we see here is, is there were hindrances, though, to the children. There were hindrances to the children. So why did the disciples rebuke them? I mean, these are people who have probably, as many commentators had said, maybe people who had been following Jesus. It wasn't like they were just complete strangers. These were people who had access to him. So, so they're bringing their kids in. Why, why in this moment would the disciples rebuke them? Well, maybe it's because they thought, well, it's just a bother. It's a nuisance. Jesus has more important things to do. Come on, there's, there's just more important things. There's adult things to do. Come on, kids, just go downstairs in the basement and just stay down there, you know, just, just over there. You know, we have group, and so we don't need to pour into the kids. Just, you just go over there. We just need to hire a babysitter. That's all we need to be able to do. But yet, Jesus would have never done it that way. Jesus would have actually taken time and probably hung out with the kids more than he hung out with the adults. He was busy teaching them. And yet the disciples probably felt like, listen, Jesus is too busy teaching us. He doesn't have time for kids. Come on, can kids really even understand the things of the Lord? Come on, they're kids. Do they really understand? Can they really experience it? I remember at a young age experiencing God and my life completely changing from that moment forward. Maybe it was annoyance. Maybe it was irritation over the children because they'd refused to stay in their place. Maybe, maybe the kids were a little rambunctious. Maybe, maybe there was a kid that was a little bit like me when I was a kid and just was going everywhere, and they're like, Jesus is trying to touch him. He's like, touch me. Come on, Jesus. Maybe he was doing that. I don't know. Maybe the disciples finally said, it's enough. Maybe there was resentment that Jesus, you know, was in this moment, and maybe Jesus should be treated as one of one of the, like the other scribes or the Pharisees who were out there. I mean, the parents would never bring their kids to those religious people. See, what, what we have to understand is sometimes without realizing it, we actually are the ones who provide the hindrances to the children. Sometimes it's us who actually provide the hindrances. It's not... It's not, it's not the kids, it's not the circumstances of life, it's actually you and I. Here, here's, here's some hindrances that I see in our lives right now. Here, here's one, busyness. I'm just too busy right now. I'm too busy to take time to sit down and teach a child. I'm, I'm too busy to, to take that moment because to explain something to a child, sometimes it takes a little bit more work. We're just busy. We're, we're busy, busy, busy. And so what happens is, is busyness actually leads to neglect. See, a lot of people say it's because the family's being torn down, and I think that does have a lot to do with it. We have a lot of single-parent homes right now. So a lot of kids are growing up in homes where there isn't a mom and a dad, both. There's, there's one or the other. So we see that. I think that does play in a little bit. But I think also as a culture and society, we have just become very, very busy. And so what has happened is, is I think that we've begun to neglect our kids because we've just said, I'm just too busy. I don't have time to work on in kids because I'm too busy. I don't have time to invest into youth on Wednesday nights because I'm just too busy. I, I have too many things to do. I've got jobs and I've got this requirement and this and all these different things. And can I just say to you real quickly for a moment, who allowed all those things to take place in your life? You did. Some people are like, I'm just too busy. There's nothing I can do to change it. Oh, yes, there is. Stop being busy. Just stop. Just pause. Just take a break. Spend time with your kids. Spend time popping some popcorn and watching a movie and watching them fall asleep. Just spend time with them. Now that my daughter is in college right now, I look back and I just go, man, I, just, I wish I had spent more time with my daughter. I know it's a natural response, it's there. And now my boys are probably getting more attention than what my daughter got because now I'm trying to, you know, pour into them more and, 
You know, I'm like, man, I remember what it was like to be a kid. But you know what has always conflicted with my time has always been I'm too busy. Here's another one. Kids take work. This is another hindrance. Kids take work. (laughs) Boy, do they take work. And listen, as they get older, it doesn't get easier. Listen, when they go off to college, it doesn't get easier. It just gets more expensive. That's, all, that's the only thing that happens. It just gets more expensive. Because now it's like I'm going on this missions trip, and that's thousands of dollars, and I need this over here, and this car, you know, my car, and these different things. I, I go down, when we were down in Florida, I, I go, and Jordan's like, Dad, don't be mad. My car's really trashed. And I'm like, it's your new car. She's like, I know, I know. I just haven't had time. I'm like, when was the last time you washed this thing? It's a black car. It looks horrible. It's been backed into, you know, like someone had backed into her car. That wasn't her fault, but someone had backed into it. And so I bring it to this guy. His name's like Julio or whatever. He's got tattoos all down his arms. He looks like the rock. I mean, he is just, he's ripped out. He's like, yeah, I think I can get it. He's underneath there. And he's like, boom. And I'm just sitting there like, dude, look at that guy's arms. <laughs> it was like a serious man crush moment right there. I mean, like he was, he was, he was so ripped. And I was just like, man, if I worked out, maybe I could be like that. But um, he, he's fixing everything. I'm doing all these things and, you know, fixing on the door. Because why? Because Jordan, she doesn't know what to do in those moments. And Kasha and I were talking about this last night. I'm like, man, there's certain things that I just, I don't, I wish we could have better prepared her for certain things. And then Kasha's like, some things she just has to learn on her own. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's true. Because kids take work. See, kids are a handful sometimes. It's a lot easier just to, to just look at them and say, hey, just go off to your room and play versus sitting down with them and actually working with them and talking through things, asking them how their day went, talking through things that you're reading in the word and soaping through. Kids take work. Here's the next thing, hindrance is, is and, and I think this is one that a lot of us, well, I won't say a lot of us, I, I, just, I, I see this in our culture. We think that we're better than kids. I've grown up, I've done my, I've done my time, I'm more mature now. We, we think that we're better than kids. And I think the disciples probably were struggling with this. The disciples were like, I'm better than the kids. Like, come on, Jesus. Like, like you don't need to hang out with them. Hang out with us. We're the ones. Don't hang out with those little runny-nosed kids, you know? Like, they don't understand. They don't get it. Like, I'm, I'm better than the kids. The disciples must have thought that they were more important than just a group of children. But Jesus actually said the opposite. So in Mark chapter 9, verse 33, we see the disciples are all arguing with, over who will be the greatest among them. It's interesting because they're all arguing about who's going to be the greatest, and then Jesus basically comes in and is like, listen, if you, if you if, listen, the one thing you need to do is you need to become like one of these child, like one of these kids right here. See, the world is full of hindrances, and here's what I know. The world does not need help in creating more hindrances to bringing kids to Jesus. The world doesn't. There's plenty of hindrances. From the stuff they watch on TV to the stuff they can get on the internet to the stuff that they hear at school to everything. And listen, you can try to put your kids in a Christian school and guess what? There's still bad stuff that comes out of those. Every environment, every culture around it has hindrances that are trying to pull down on our kids. Bad influences, peer pressure, But you and I can actually be positive and encourage kids like Jesus did. Jesus said, come to me. Bring the children to me. Let them come. Let them be a part. See, Jesus' love for you and I isn't based on what we do. And we've got to understand that, listen, Jesus does not love you more based on you doing more. It's never been about your performance. See, if it was about performance, then you could say, well, yeah, children haven't even had an opportunity to even earn God's love. But remember, God's love is not something that's earned. God's love is something that's freely given. And so God's love is the same love that he has for a kid is the same love he has for you. You haven't earned more. You haven't put in more time. Nothing to that degree. No, God's love is not based on performance. It's not based on activity. It's not based upon your do's and don'ts. It's actually based upon his love and his grace for you. And he wants you to understand that there is nothing that you and I can do to earn that love. 
When Jesus is talking with his disciples, he's trying to get them to understand something. Guys, listen, it's not about you having all the knowledge and having it all put together. Listen, it's not about that. It's actually about you becoming like a child. And what does a child do? A child simply trusts. Matthew 18, verse three says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. For whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Whoa. Jesus, did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed today? Like, like what, why, why so, like, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty big. Not many times do we see Jesus addressing people like that, saying whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me, who believe in me, to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Wow. What is Jesus doing with his disciples in this moment? He's helping them to understand that there isn't a hierarchy that's in place. In fact, he puts them below, below the children. Jesus tells them, you don't receive them, then you don't receive me. Hey, if you, if you, don't, if you don't pour out in these kids' lives, if you don't do something to invest in these kids, if you don't, if you don't take it upon yourself to, to pour into them and to bring them to encounter Jesus, listen, if you don't do it for, for them, you're not doing it for me. And then Jesus talks about these hindrances. And Jesus tells them to invest into our kids. See, when we invest in our children, what we are doing is we are investing in the kingdom of God. Let me give you some stats this morning. 83% of those who come to know the Lord do so before the age of 18. I just was reading, that, and that's an older stat, I was just reading another article here actually this morning where the, the author says he claims 93%. 93, not 83, 93. They, they say this by study, they say that only 17% are saved after the age of 18. So if 83% is saved before the age of 18, like, and what do we mean by saved? Have an encounter with Jesus that changes their life. Has an encounter with Jesus where, where they surrender to him. If, if, if 83% of kids who do that will last and, and make it through, then why would we not want to be pour, uh, pouring into the next generation and like that be our top priority? Like what do we have to do to pour into the next generation? What do we gotta do to pour into the next generation? What do we have to do to pour into the next generation? Only 17% are saved after the age of 18. Here's some more interesting stats. We did, a, we did a, um, some demographic work here a while back here at Bethany, and we did a 10-mile radius around Bethany. Here's some of the things we found in the 10-mile radius. 25% of the households around us, 25% are households with kids and a single mom. So they're single mom homes, 25% of them. 13% of the households around us in a 10 mile radius live below the national poverty level, which is $15,000. 13% of them live below the national poverty level. There are 7,152 households with kids that are from age zero to 18. So 18 and under, there are 7,152 households that have at least one kid in that category. Generation Z, so this would be those who were born uh, in 2002 or later, in 2010 in the census, that number was 6,623. So that's 11% of the, of the total. 11% of the 6,623 was the 2010 census. Now get this, in 2016, the 2016 census showed that there was an increase 
of almost 4,000 in that age range. So it's now 10,754 that are in that. That's 18.1%. In 2021, the census numbers tell us this, that that number will then double almost another 4,000. It'll be 14,784. So 24.9% will be in that age range. Can I tell you, Bethany, we have got to invest into the next generation. We've got to invest in the next generation. It is a part of our heartbeat. From the very beginning, this church was founded upon investing into the next generation. Literally, Sister Annabelle and Donna Liebler saw young kids whose parents were off working and the factories were booming and yes, life was booming and they couldn't, they didn't have enough housing so they started putting, the government started putting projects up so that more factory workers could come in. And yes, growth was happening, all these things. And you know what Donna Liebler and, and, and Sister Annabelle, you know what they didn't focus in on? They didn't just focus in on the adults. They actually said, you know what, who's taking care of these kids? If this is a place where we're seeing a lot of growth is in kids and families, like why would we not reach the kids? And so they started a Sunday school program in Deerfield Park and they began pouring into kids and began saying, we're gonna invest into the next generation. And we as a church have been following along in that path for years. And now we are at a critical crossroads where we've built an incredible building 40 years ago. 40 years ago, we built this building. 41 years ago, we built this building. And 41 years ago, when we built it, it was cutting edge for children's ministry. To have that much classroom space was cutting edge. And you know what? In today's culture and in today's society, it is no longer cutting edge. We are behind the times. Massively behind the times. And every time we try to push forward, what we hear many times is, 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 man, now we're making this change and we're doing this. Instead, can we change our focus to be a focus like Jesus and say, you know what? We're going to invest in the next generation. And you know what? If the next generation likes moving lights, guess what? It's okay. We're going to have moving lights because the next generation likes them. Hey, if the next generation likes bigger open spaces and not all these little classrooms, guess what we're going to do? We're going to open up the spaces. We're going to do that. Hey, you know what? If the next generation likes to have carpet that isn't all torn up and ratty and the nastiest carpet in the entire church be down in the basement, if the next generation doesn't like nasty carpet, guess what we should do? We should change the carpet. But here, here, here's where I'll tell you where our reality is, though, is not, not all of us have jumped on board with making the investment into the next generation. And so I sit in board meetings where we're like, okay, so what about this? And we have this money here, and what if we move this over here, and this, and this, and this? And, and honestly, if we all just sat down and just said, you know what? What if I just made a faith move in my personal finances and invested in the next generation? You may say, Pastor Brian, are you just doing this to tell us to invest in the next generation? Yes, I'm telling you, we should be investing in the next generation. Because the next generation is worth it. Even Jesus saw the investment in the next generation. Or we could be like the disciples, and we could rebuke them. We could say, oh, no big deal. Come on, the kids are downstairs. You know why the kids had the nastiest carpet when we had brand new carpet up here? It's because kids don't complain. They don't say anything. They don't complain about it. You say, see, Pastor Brian, they, could, they should be able to have that. But you know who does complain about it? Is every new parent that walks into our doors and walks down into a basement that's dark and gringy and carpet that's been taped over. That's, that's what we did to deal with the carpet. We literally put duct tape over the carpet in the basement. Now listen, I'm not here to point fingers at who and what's responsible. I'm just telling you we're responsible to make it different and to change it, and to pour into that generation. Because why? Because they're worth investing into. Children are an investment, an eternal investment. See, Jesus saw kids as a top priority. It's interesting because a Barna, they, there was this Barna study here a while back in 2013 actually, and it said, what are kids looking for? They're looking for places to develop meaningful relationships, Environments where they can be taught to study and discern what's happening in culture. Helping kids to discover their own mission in the world rather than them just to wait for their turn. Actually telling a young child, listen, you can believe in it now. You know what's crazy is to think about all these tech companies that are being led by 17-year-old founders that are changing the world. Somebody sat down with that 17-year-old at one point in time and said, I believe in you. 
It should have been the church. We should be looking at our young people and saying, I believe in you. Instead of looking at our young people and saying, you gotta wait your time. You gotta wait your time. If you'll wait your time and you'll invest in it, then one day maybe. Come on, let's believe in them now. Let's believe in them now. Let's let them do that. We need to teach our kids to be more potent, or potent, uh, potent excuse me, in, our, in their theology and actually help them to understand that. We need to help kids to develop a lasting faith by facilitating a deeper sense of an intimacy with God. The faith move is all about making a move this year to close the year out. The faith move is all about, listen, what would happen if these last five months we just poured you know, a chunk of resources into what we're doing here. We could do different things like this here uh, in this auditorium. We could do things down in the lower level. Um, and the stuff that we're trying to do, well, it's big. But here's my question is, where will the church be 20 years from now if we don't invest in our kids today? I can tell you what's happening across our culture. Places that investment is happening, growth is happening. I mean, come on, we all invest in our homes, we invest in our cars, we invest in clothes. You're not driving the same car that you did 40 years ago. You're not, why? You invested into it. See, the truth is, is you won't be able to take your house with you to heaven. You're gonna have one already waiting there. You won't, you won't be able to take your car to heaven because listen, you'll be able to travel at the speed of thought. You won't, you won't need your clothes in heaven because you'll be clothed in the righteousness of God. Listen, the stuff that you have here is just, it's just temporary. Jesus is telling us this one simple thought. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus talking about? Here's the one thought, trust. One simple thought, trust. What would happen if you trusted? Isn't that what the faith move really is about? It's trusting God in your finances. I know when, when Kasha and I first were looking at the faith move and we were like, oh, we can do this. And then the Lord was like, Brian, are you trusting me in that? Because that doesn't sound like a faith move, Brian. And I was like, I know, but God, like I know where our finances are. I know all these different things. He's like, Brian, just trust me. All right. I'm gonna trust you. And Kasha and I have been seeing God do it. Is it all there yet? Nope. But we got till December 31st. <laughs> And we're trusting God in it. We're trusting God. Why? Because we believe that the next generation is worth the investment. You see, what the faith move really is, it's, it's about making some investment into the next generation. It really, it really isn't even for just us. You may say, Pastor Brian, I thought it was because you like that. No, I'm, I don't go down on the lower level very much but I know that our parents do, and I know that our kids do, and I want them to have the best experience down there. I'm tired of our kids getting second best. I think Jesus would look at that moment and he would rebuke it, and he would say, no, 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 this is where you need to put your investment first. Now, yes, did we have to fix the roof? Yes. Did we have to fix the parking lot? Yes. All these different things. There's just, there's a lot of things that are going on right now. And it's not because we're just, you know, just want to just do, do, do. It's because we need to make investments into the next generation. I want to see this church be here in 20 years. Yeah, it's fantastic. We celebrated 75 years. But I want to see the church here in another 75 years, should God tarry. It takes investment. So this morning... One word, trust. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you remember the moment when you trusted him with your life, when you said, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sin, change my life? That was a moment of trust. Do you remember the moment when you first started tithing? That was a moment of trust. Do you remember the time when you first started serving? That was a moment of trust. See, life is filled with moments of trust. Trust. 
The question is, is do we trust? Jesus is faithful and he will walk with you in every season and in every moment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can trust you. God, may we never be hindrances to our kids. God, our kids personally and the kids that are around us. May we take time to get down at their eye level at moments and just speak into their lives. God, may we be individuals who invest into the next generation. God, we truly wanna see the next generation experience your glory. We wanna see them experience the richness and fullness of who you are. We wanna see our kids experience just a reality of one encounter with you that would change their life literally forever. If 83% of our kids who have an encounter with you are having it before the age of 18, God, we have, a, we have a quick window that we have to invest in them. So God, I pray that you would help us. God, I pray that today individuals would jump on board with the faith movement and say, I'm gonna financially be a part of that. And God, I pray that they would trust you in those moments. God, for others in this room here today who maybe are sitting there like, They've been, you've been stirring their heart about serving in kids or in youth. I pray, God, that they would take that step today. They'd walk out to the next step area and say, I, I, I need to be involved in kids, and so how do I do that? God, I pray that today people would jump on board in that. And God, I pray also for individuals who maybe you're calling them right now to be prayer warriors for our kids. God, that there would be prayer warriors that would rise up across this church that would say, I'm not only gonna invest in my resources, I'm not only gonna invest in my time, but I'm gonna invest in prayer. I'm gonna pray for the next generation. If Jesus spoke blessings over them, I'm gonna speak blessings over them. I'm gonna speak over their lives. And God, I pray that you would stir our hearts, God, for the young people in our church, in our community around us. God, I pray that the numbers would change that we would see single parent homes drop. God, that we would see poverty levels, God, that we would see that drop, that we would see through our prayers, our community around us begin to change because we know this, God, that if we will invest into the next generation, God, that you will do something in and through their hearts and in through their lives. And God, we need a mind shift. We need a change of mind and a change of heart. So God, help us to not be hindrances to the children around us, but help us, God, to see these kids as the next generation who you love and you care for. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name, the name that is above all other names, that we ask and pray these things.